Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. And today I'm talking with two out of the three Opal co-founders, Dr. Lexi Giblin and Julie Church, and we're going to be exploring Prochaska's stages of change. In talking about issues of food, body, sport, mental health, all the things I just listed, change is at the heart of all of those things. Um, there's no way to escape it. It is the human condition to change. And yet somehow we're maybe not so good at it. So today we're going to be exploring what it looks like to change and how that process works or doesn't work, maybe. <laughs> Hi, Lexi and Julie. Hello. Hi. So, um, Lexi, can you lay this out for us? What are these stages of change and how were they developed? Yes. So this uh, work is Prochaska and Di Clemente's work from the 70s and 80s originally. And they talked about five main stages of change that we are in, in our process, in our processes. The first stage of change is pre-contemplation. And this is where you're not really, you're not aware of the problem so much, or you're not seeing it as a problem. You're not yet considering making a change because there is nothing, there's no needed change to be had. So you're, you're early in the change process. I like that that title even assumes that there will be contemplation, though, because (laughs) it will just stay in denial. I was going to say, is it a denial? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, where does denial fit here? Yeah. Okay. Right. Not on the not on the map. Not on the map yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the next stage is contemplation, where you start to think about the pros and cons of changing, and you toy around with the idea of what it would be like to make this behavior change or this change. And you sort of have a lot of ambivalence, which is really what we consider the hallmark of change. Because in pre-contemplation, you're not ambivalent. You're not in conflict about it. There's no dissonance, usually, because it's not seen as a problem. But in contemplation, there's there's a lot of ambivalence. You're feeling tension. Part of you wants to change. Part of you doesn't. And you're feeling the dissonance of that kind of that conflict, internal conflict. I've heard that quote before that ambivalence is the hallmark of change. I love that. And I am excited to hear more about it because I think it holds a lot of space for the fact that we don't necessarily just wake up one day and go, oh, yeah, I should do this. It's way more tumultuous than that. Right. A lot of mixing up of feelings. And And how, how often in life do we make decisions where we're not ambivalent? Right. Very rarely can I make a decision that's you're 100% on board with. So to make this assumption that you're not going to have ambivalence as you make difficult decisions is, I think you'll, you, that's just not how it usually goes right. for human beings. And we talked about that a little bit, the two of us in our episode around courage yeah, a little while back about, you know, the fact that the oftentimes courage includes ambivalence and people think that it's just about being 100% in on something. but. Right. No. It's moving forward despite the ambivalence. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's the next stage after that? The next stage is preparation. So this is when uh, you are starting to get ready for the big action phase, the next phase, where you're starting to set up your life to support the change that you're about to make. So, for example, on the motivational interviewing podcast, you're getting the uh, floss. 
Oh right? yeah, for those <laughs> for those that haven't listened, this was a little while ago, and your sister was in the in the studio talking to you about your your relationship to flossing or lack thereof. Right. right. So I wanted to make sure I had all the right floss flosses. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like all the materials ready right. And you want to just have your life set up to support this this um this preparation phase is just all about getting all the things sup- that will support this change that you're about to make. Mm-hmm. And then the next stage, the fourth phase is action and this is where you actually make the behavior change. And for all of you who have been wondering, I did change my flossing behavior. <laughs> wow. And that night was action mode, and it has been ever since. The night of the podcast? Yes. Well, Yeah. I know. <laughs> like that. the intensity of this. <laughs> the motivational interviewing that day really <laughs> changed me and this behavior. And I would say I'm in the final phase at this point. And what is the final phase? The, it's maintenance. Okay. Right? Where you've already made the change, but you're... Your commitment is continuing. I would say I'm in maintenance on flossing. I think I'm going to be a flosser for life, probably. What do you mean by maintenance? What does that entail? It means kind of continuing to do the the new behavior and setting up your life to keep it keep it a going. The change as a very infrequent flosser, <laughs> I am curious about that a little bit more, just in terms of like, okay, so you set up the behavior in some way to for success by buying all the floss and now you're in the action and you're doing it and now you're preparing. Is this just like a sort of Amazon subscription to the floss that just keeps coming or like what it just like starts working? You just do it now? Yeah. Wow. I think what happened is that that day of that podcast with my sister, I was just so had such a readiness to make a change. And having that little bump, that little push of the motivational interviewing really pushed me into this action phase quite quite easily because of all the work I'd been doing up to that moment. And then now with the maintenance phase, it's sort of rewarding or it's just sort of like what I do. Julie, do you have some changes in mind in your life that you can recognize in any of these stages? I can. I think in this conversation... I'm recognizing the, the the hard work of change. I think that any change I have to make now is going to take continual, like, cycling somewhat through this action and maintenance and, like, staying in that active change phase because I'm – I feel like I'm old enough that habits have been formed that I'm, like, as change happens, I'm going to have to keep working at keeping – doing something different. Anything in mind in particular? <laughs> I, I think I could just do a general term of self-care, okay. just taking care of myself. It's That's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Julie, the you, you sound kind of, it sounds kind of like a hopeless mm. a bit. Like you're always going to have to work at it. And yeah. So then therefore and, maybe not start the process. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's it what I hear. It keeps me in my ambivalence. That there wouldn't be as much motivation at hand if you think it's going to always be work. It's always going to be hard, no matter whether you do it or not. It's always going to be hard. I wonder if there is the possibility that it could just be a flow thing eventually. If you were aware of that possibility, then you might be more apt to move into the action mm-hmm. phase. You look so skeptical, Julie. I know. 
I it's I Lies yes. Out. Oh, I I just see all the barriers to why that's gonna be. Can you can we hard to get into flow? It's interesting to be in relationship with. <laughs> oh no, Julie. Sort of where where you you see you see what could potentially be for the person, but they're not yet seeing it the same way or they never see it the same way and kind of sitting with that tension of like, I think this would be so great for you, but it's not my life at all. So why don't you tell me um, what I should change? Yeah, I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is what, what feels so realistic and great? <laughs> well... <laughs> I had a conversation like this with my mom last week, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. See, see. Um, well, there's a lot that um, I've been making a lot of changes. I've been in action mode on some things related to um, work mm-hmm. and how we work and how we approach work in our daily life at Opal. And so I've been feeling the reward of making those changes. And, of course, I want that for you, too. Mm-hmm. But then the tension is that you may not want that for you too. I think um, making changes at work feels more feasible and realistic, especially because I'm so close in relationship with you and Kara and other colleagues at Opal that also would support that. And like, I feel like there are systems in place there that could support some of those changes. I feel more hopeful about about potentially having some changes there. It's maybe less hopeful when I think about like my personal outside of work hours, how I would make some changes to take care of myself outside of. Okay. So you're having a harder time thinking about changes that are just on your own behalf. Yeah. Rather than like sort of within the system of work or within the system of your family or something. Yeah. I'm working with adults at the workplace. (laughs) And I believe that the adults around me would support some of these decisions that I could make or changes I could make outside of work. Then I'm managing young children. And that's where it's just constantly this weighing and measuring of what's actually going to have a positive impact. So that's where... I get stuck where I'm still in in the ambivalence of contemplation, I think, because I can't quite see the full picture of benefit because I see the negative or the the impact it has on my family and the kids that will come back to bite me. Yeah. Right. You're in this that when you when you enter contemplation about it, your ambivalence is strong, sounds like, but your parenting and your your presence as a parent wins out, which, but at work, there's more space I, it does, for a change, it sounds like. I do feel that way. I, yeah. I can see some changes within the work environment. What I fear is that they, they kind of need to simultaneously change, though, because if I'm like in a different kind of mode or pace or expectation at work, I expect that if I'm not in that similar sort of pace or expectation mode, in my family life, then when I come in hot from that to work, how am I going to switch gears totally? Like, I I, I don't think well, that's you realistic. switch gears. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think that, like, that, I don't know totally what you're talking about, but it makes sense to me that it would be difficult to switch gears. And sometimes in the ways that we want to change, 
there's this sense of like it's all got to work really well for this to happen or like all these different areas of my life need to be better in order to support the change or like I mean, you start kind of yeah. having this Tetris of yeah. of changes. And like, that's part and of my personality and temperament that I do that Tetris thing for yeah. everything. So then I don't take the one action, which I, I understand that that's like a part of my psychology that I have to battle when it comes to change because I'm doing that Tetris. And yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to predict the future and then being Debbie Downer about it Yeah, mm-hmm. versus it- just giving it a try. Like, what if? Right. And then seeing. Yeah. I think like one of the things I like most about this um, inclusion of ambivalence in change is that it might allow you to be a Debbie Downer and make change at the same time. I think that that's something that impacts me. And I used to probably be a lot more emotional, emotionally driven, I think, when I was younger. And I I wrote something on my desk in Sharpie when Mm. I was – probably like 15 that said intent over emotion which is like very yeah very intense (laughs) I know I know I don't know if I would uh advise myself in that way (laughs) now but I remember thinking like I want some things to change Hmm. in my life and if I feel like I need to feel a particular way about it in order to start changing some things because I was said many times I was not that happy I will never feel good enough to do anything. And so for me, that was actually a really helpful way to recognize, like, you want some things. Yeah. Your intention is to have a life that looks like X, Y, and Z in relationships that feel good and, you know, to leave your bed sometimes. Like, you know, <laughs> start listening to the yeah. things that you desire just as much as your mood. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll your life will look a little different. Mm-hmm. And I, over time, got to develop into something that included the ambivalence and yet there was still there still could be action. I'm not necessarily great at that in the same way now. Like I think it's easier for me to change when there's like a big change I can make. The subtler ones are still harder. But it, yeah, I I think that it's important to be like, yeah, okay, all of this is still going to be hard, but I could make my mornings slightly more enjoyable or slightly easier or you know whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And just be like, that will then maybe build into me having like a tiny bit more energy by lunch to do this other thing that I wanted to do. You know, whatever it is. Well, I love that you pointing that out, Carter, because I think a lot of us get stuck in the contemplation phase because we're waiting to feel just the right way or our lives to be just the right arrangement. And often we're waiting for a lifetime potentially for that feeling of perfection the perfect moment the perfect Mm -hmm. feeling Mm -hmm. absolutely yep one of the things that i'm hearing in this too is that i feel like i have a gap in my parenting skill to be able to manage the change that would happen if i were to do some things different and change some of our systems that would relate to me taking care of myself or taking some time for myself then i'm like nope i have to download that book that I actually listened to that book that I downloaded about stop yelling at your children that book that I bought from some (laughs) random mom that like definitely advertised through my phone and Instagram and whatever yep I bought that Um, anyways but I need to first do that because I need to figure out how to be a better parent before I can make a change in my whole system that will work to be rewarded so that and that's I get it like that's not I'm I'm not admitting that that's good I'm just saying my I just was uh, nodding my head because I see you doing that 
you're, you want to get prepared for action yeah. um, rather than just going for it and kind of trusting that you'll figure it out as you go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I read something in The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron years ago that I had like on a post-it note on my wall for a while. I think it was only like maybe three years ago. All the post-it note said was gentle, powerful changes. And mm. I don't remember the context entirely, but I'm sure it was about mm. change, right? <laughs> and it was it was such a comforting phrase to me because sometimes the like tiny thing first is the thing that's going to eventually yeah. build into the most powerful. And we want to be able to choose something that's going to go perfectly or like sort of rebuild everything. But I don't know. I think sometimes mm -hmm. just you start where you got to start. Yeah. As in, mm -hmm. you don't need to read the book yet. I know. <laughs> Maybe you'll find something out on the other side. Totally. Maybe I... you'll be caring for yourself better yeah. so you won't yell. Totally. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Yeah, it's embarrassing to talk about it, mm -hmm. right? Like, it, I get it. I can, like, sit in it and think, that's all just ridiculous. Just Aww. try something new. It just, in the moment of it, yeah. in those moments, to make the decision, it's it's not, it doesn't always feel like I have that. I would say that in listening to you about this, Julie, you're in more contemplation, maybe preparation mode with changes at work, but mm -hmm. not kind of in preparation mode or more mm -hmm. pre-contemplation, contemplation with life outside of work. But it sounds like there's some readiness in the workplace, mm -hmm. the work world. Mm -hmm. So I, I say that because I, I love this model because it, it shows there's a lot of um, respect for where you are in the change process and just sort of honoring that. Like I can hear myself kind of giving Julia a hard time about this, but I also kind of respect that, you know, hey, Julie, that's not where Julie is with mm -hmm. this. But Julie sounds like she's maybe more in a different place with this other thing. So that's where she's at. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Let's let, let me be um, a friend to her. I'm a colleague to her and support her in that place that she's maybe interested and more ready to make the change. I think I also would want to add that, I mean, after I've just said that gentle, powerful changes are yeah. the things that sort of accumulate into mm -hmm. long-term awesomeness. I think it feels more complicated than that to me <laughs> if I'm really getting more in touch with myself. Like this idea of six stages as a linear process, I think I don't think I agree with. Mm. I can see that all six stages happen occur and i also feel like some of the biggest changes in my life have been cyclical so i maybe have gotten to maintenance and then started at the beginning again mm -hmm. i think that's what i was yeah. kind of speaking to earlier of like really yeah what does yeah. it just stay don't you still have to yeah <laughs> no things that i thought were going to be like oh i'm doing this forever i i mean there's really nothing that has happened I mean, I, in a recent podcast, I talked about my vegetarianism and, and was talking about how my attunement to sort of allowing myself to change through being a vegetarian and flexing in some ways has been a really important process. But, you know, if you're going to put sort of my decision to become a vegetarian on here, the maintenance of it isn't so, like, stagnant. It's not like a destination. It in and of itself has changed and I've reassessed some things or... I've talked a lot at different times about my habit of doing um, morning pages or writing in the morning, also from The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I just got in a phase of doing it for like four months 
and I haven't done it for a month. So I'm like, what? Like, I got back. I did it. I did it. And now, like, Mm. I went on a trip or two over Mm. the weekend, and I'm done. Like, geez, you know, and and my intention is to continue, right? My intention is to figure out what went wrong again (laughs) or simply to just accept things go wrong. And it makes it harder when I start again. I'm out of my flow. I'm out of the rhythm. I'm out of the habit. But— I know now that it's hard, and it will continue to be. And I had a really great three-year streak where I did it Mm. every day, but life has gotten more complicated, and my intention is to still try. So, I yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's messy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm being so hard on myself around self-care, I could say I've I've done some things within the last, if I even just say, 12 months or something. I could say that. Like, I would say that I have instilled some changes. Even drinking tea and finding, like, a beverage that I love, a morning drink, like having my London fog, that's a total gift to me. It's I make an effort to do it for myself. I very rarely miss that. And that's something that even three years ago, I didn't have anything like that. That was something that I was going to make an effort to really so it's you know it's li- it's little things, but yes. it's then building on that in right. creating a bigger picture of self care is like such a big monster, right? So it's like the little things. I do think this the little things add up. Right. When you pick a thing, like okay, right now this is the the change I want to make. It's then going through that, and maybe the change is the cycle. Yeah. Of, of like right. Okay. Then, it. Okay. So yes. because you are there for. Doing, you know, three months out of the year, you did Artist Way. So that's mm. trending on a change, yeah. right? Because maybe the previous year you did much none. less than that. Uh-huh. None. none. <laughs> that is a change that's process. Change, yes. yes. And not being perfectionistic. Right. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. So, you know, with my flossing, I said on the podcast, I said, seven out of seven days, <laughs> I'm going for it. And this is going to be my life. What am I actually doing? I'm doing five days. About, and I'm not hardcore about it, you know, about five days on average a week of flossing. So, yeah, that's that's the change. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're a flosser, I'm even though flosser. it's not yeah. perfect. Right. <laughs> I still consider myself, I identify as a flosser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like that's important. And I said this at the beginning of today's podcast, but, you know, change is inherent in all these different processes of, of relating to your body, relating to food, mental health, all of it is about change. And as much as it's inherent in just humanity, it's also something I feel like we can look at in the world. And by world, I guess I mean earth, like the actual cycles and seasons of change that happen. And it's not linear. And so I think that it's important to remember that and to go, okay, yeah, there's like layers of change that maybe build that aren't necessarily like building every single year. doesn't mean that I'm suddenly going to get to like you know, 52 weeks a year that I'm writing every morning, but maybe it just fluctuates and okay. It's still different than before. Right. Right. Okay. It's still different okay. from before. And I mean, I feel like this topic of change relates so much to some of the conversations we've had around identity too, that like you can be a flosser and not do it every single day. I can be a writer and not do it perfectly every day or at all for some months. But it is like still a huge part of my identity and 
like those things can stay true, even if the action isn't perfectly looking like, you know, what it would say on the instruction label. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, clearly, we're all in stages in our own processes of change in our own lives. And we're working with people who are making incredible changes in their lives every day. And it's so cool to watch people go from sometimes pre-contemplation to action in a short amount of time. Yes. And so we are the lucky ones who get to watch people kind of come to life. You know, in intake, it's often Mm -hmm. they're in pre-contemplation or contemplation, usually contemplation. And then stepping into the doors of Opal, they're in action. And it's brave. It's brave, brave work to to behold. So, yeah. And maybe prior to um, the change of deciding to do recovery, there's there have been a lot of actions taken that were more eating disorder focused. You know, like I'm going to start on Monday with this new restriction plan or diet plan of some sort, right? And so this is a different approach to maybe something they, they. at the core was this is they're they're trying to tend to the same kind of emotional struggle, but in a different way by coming in to Opal. Yes. I'm thinking still about ambivalence in the role of all of that because um, you know, having been a milieu therapist and being in meals and clients are eating but it doesn't necessarily feel so good. You know, like those changes in the action maybe doesn't feel so good still. And I always appreciated so many of the conversations I got to have with clients where we'd sort of step out of the the great room, step away from the table and get to talk about the process that was happening and then go back in and keep eating. Because sometimes having a space to be able to express what is feeling so wrong about what you're doing or what's hard or what's coming up or the complexity and ambivalence that's there allows forward movement again. So even within the process of change at large that could be happening in recovery, I feel like they're tiny little moments over and over and over and over again that are also holding all the ambivalence where there's yet another food to challenge or yet another time to refrain from working out again or, you know, like all those different things are these small actions that are going to hold a lot of tension and conflict. Mm -hmm. And yet... I think with having that sort of mindset, maybe again with my, my like intense 15-year-old mantra yes. of like intent over emotion, that sometimes the emotion is so, I mean, the emotion I think is always important. I think it's always important. But when you're in a process of change, having the intention of change, I think is is such a beautiful thing to hold on to. And I think of it kind of like this nucleus at the center and then all the emotions sort of swirling around it and the intention stays maybe the same. Mm-hmm. And yet there's like a lot of different weather <laughs> that's going on around it um, and keeping central. Yeah. We talk a lot about making values-based decisions versus, you know, emotion-based or um, anxiety or the avoidance of anxiety, right? So maybe in a way what you're saying is that you're – you know, making decisions based on what you want to get out of life versus what you might feel like on that particular day. Right. Right. There's kind of an overarching goal that you're shooting for. Right. Right. Um, And some days that really just includes being emotional. Right. But just to put that out there too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That it's not always action. Right. Sure. I do want to speak to that point that you just made as well, because we're making an assumption here in this conversation that change is always a good thing. Mm. Oh. And I think stagnation has its value too sometimes. Oh. 
say more. <laughs> I are there things that I wouldn't want to change about my life or that maybe others would want me to change, but I wouldn't. Yeah. And they matter to me, but maybe not to others. And people don't like that they matter to me. Or, you know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I guess I just wouldn't want to make this assum- basic assumption mm-hmm. in this conversation that it's, you always should be on some sort of change process <laughs> because. Good point. Um, not necessarily. Being over-controlled, some, you know, some of us are over-controlled, myself included. You know, I, I always I sort of have a, project of some sort going on some sort of change project going on most of my life and I'm trying to not have a change project right now <laughs> I'm oh. trying to just my change is to not have a project I love that which is a big dang deal for me yes yeah yes I'm so glad you said that because that feels like a really important part of this conversation yeah <laughs> and if you are in contemplation and you haven't done your preparation, it's probably not a good idea to try for action. Mm. You know, you want to yeah. respect where you are in the change process mm-hmm. because pushing yourself to be somewhere you're not is likely going to create a, a setup for a, a failed change process. There's something about it, fe- yeah, feeling forced or feeling prescriptive in that way that I think you're trying, yeah, speaking to. And I think the reality is that some may start and embark on the change process thinking that they're going to one end and end at a different end. I feel like that happens a lot when people that enter OPAL. They they think they know what eating disorder recovery and what treatment is going to entail and what it's, where it's leading them, and then they get totally taken by maybe it's the health at every size approach, and they didn't even know that existed, and now they're thinking about weight and health totally differently, and they're, they're headed in a different direction or relationships, right? The emotional attunement. Maybe people are thinking something about their emotional makeup as they start Opal and then in their process of change, they learn something new. So I just think that's an interesting thing too, of like how we start and then where we actually end in that. So, Yes. And back to the sort of the idea of cycles in life, like I think it's important to note that there are some cycles that are, are just sort of the dormant stage of life where there's not necessarily a lot of action that would happen and there's not necessarily a lot of desire even. It's just sort of a kind of infertile time. Mm-hmm. And that is also normal. And it, I think, again, is about being sort of attuned to what place you're in. And like, are you actually feeling compelled to change? Do you actually feel ready to that? Are ready for that? I really like the word ambivalence. I just feel like I keep <laughs> wanting to like say about like just how much I think that that concept is so important because if you can honor the fact that you're going to feel so many different ways and let yourself explore the scope of your own experience and go, I really want this change or people are telling me that I should, but you know, a part of me wants to do that. And actually about 95% of me thinks it's really stupid. <laughs> like that is so important. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, great. There's 5% of me that's interested in changing, not interested right now. We'll come back to that. This is not the season. I don't care. You know, like that, that can be really powerful in and of itself to just own it and to be where you are. Yeah, totally. And it never, it doesn't usually go well if you're making changes no. for someone else beca- no. out of someone else's mm-hmm. interests in your life. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're doing something, you're 95% sure you don't want to do it, but then you're doing it anyway. <laughs> right. That's, that's not so good. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you don't get to have the process of like D 
deep change. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if it's something like flossing, like you've been working on, Lexi, where if you think you should floss, like the motivational interviewing process that you did was so cool because you got to hear sort of all the different complexities of your feeling about something that on the surface would look kind of just kind of just day-to-day mundane life. Like floss, so just do it or don't, you know. But I, it's everything is complicated right. <laughs> um, in terms of why you would want to or what the resistance is. And if you don't let yourself be like, I actually like kind of don't want to. <laughs> I feel like it's stupid. Do I, do I really buy it that this is going to impact my health? Like, do I care? Um, you don't get to explore some of the reasons and belief systems that are underneath the surface that would maybe make you feel like you don't care that much or you are hopeless or you're, you know, perfectionist or whatever is under there. So as you've been listening, maybe you have recognized yourself in any of these processes or um, one stage or another. But I would just encourage you guys to listen to the ambivalence that you might have about life or changes or desires that you have in your life and maybe start wondering about some of the complexity there for you and what that might mean in terms of some of the changes you maybe actually do desire or some of the changes you really actually don't desire very much and just take some time to get to explore that on your own or with somebody. Make sure you stay in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Opal Food and Body. We'd love to be in touch with you there. Um, You can also learn more about our programming and our community events at opalfoodandbody.com. If you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, please make sure that you do. You'll stay up to date with our new releases. And um, if you want, you can also leave a review of the podcast. We love it when people do that. We love to hear from you guys and, and learn what you are enjoying about the podcast. Thank you so much to Daniel Gunther at Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. Bye. Bye.